These are real people. They do have struggles. And it starts to get on my nerves. I just shut down. So many people suffer from mental illness. To get the word out that men have got to start talking. A lot of people don't understand the depth of the situation, so mm -hmm. they can't appreciate, yeah. It's difficult dealing with our minds, and the suicidal thoughts were back. People knew that there was something not right, but they just never really said anything or probably felt like it wasn't their place to say anything. You're not depressed, it's, it's all in your head. That's probably the statement I've had people say the most. I mean, this, this, this shit is real and it's hard, it's exhausting. Sometimes you need somebody to just give you permission. And I think people realise how helpful that one conversation can be just to figure out why you are feeling the way you are. Not only did this help me to write it, it potentially might have helped some other people as well. So it sort of started from there. People just want to know that they're, they just want to know that they're safe to talk and share these things. So many people think they're alone. And then you hear other people talk about it and they think, oh, that's, you know, that's so brave or I could relate to that. Um, and then they want to talk about it. Hello and welcome to the Open Journal podcast. I hope you're well out there. Welcome to the first episode with a guest in 2023. I hope you had a wonderful new year, kind of festive period, and I hope things are good with you. We kind of roll into the winter and, you know, it's already, it's quite dark out there. It's quite cold out there. So I'm really looking forward to some of the conversations that we've got coming up in the next few episodes. Uh, it's, yeah, I'm really, really looking forward to, to sharing some of those. And I'm delighted to say that in this episode, we've got a brand new guest. Bruce is with us today. And I'm really looking forward to sharing our conversation around day crafting, around creative projects and really kind of thinking about how we spend some of our time it was a really interesting conversation and really great to hear Bruce share some of his lived experiences as well so a big thank you to Bruce for coming on and for sharing his insights his expertise it's a really cool conversation a really interesting one and kind of sparked some ideas in my mind around previous conversations we've had here as well maybe some other conversations that you've had um, in your lives as well about how we do kind of craft and manage our days and our time and kind of where we place value as well I think was a really interesting kind of talking point so I hope you enjoy this episode as always if you'd like to find out more about Bruce the contact details are towards the end of our discussion and in the show notes as well if you'd like to be a guest in the future please feel free to have a look on the website which is openjournalbc.com and you can find information about being a podcast guest there as always, if you've enjoyed the episode, which fingers crossed you have and you do, please feel free to leave a podcast review on your platform of choice. It really does help other people discover these conversations and the podcast as well. Thank you so much for continuing to support the podcast. All of these discussions. I hope you enjoy this episode. Here it is. Bruce, it's lovely to sit down and have the opportunity to chat with you. How is your how's your day been? Uh, it's been interesting. It's a good question. I didn't know whether this was going to come up actually, but I'm going to give the honest answer because uh, it's kind of relevant. Uh, it's a difficult time of year, isn't it? Interesting that the whatever's happening outside in the weather mirrors kind of where we were this time last year and this time last year i was nursing my mother through the last three days of her life i suppose i didn't know it's the last three days but it turned out to be the last three days so it's one of those weeks you know <laughs> yeah really tricky it tricky. feels it's a real sort of like you say like a memory time isn't it because it's so easy to kind of jump back and think about where you were in a previous year once you start getting to this um kind of festive end of year period it sort of it's easy to look back it's you know those facebook yeah. memories that pop up if you if people still look on facebook memories yes and you go i'm just going to ignore that or i don't look at facebook but this is like that real life version where actually it just some days it clicks into you how has that been for you and, and thank you for sharing that by the way yeah it's um it was a really tough end because, yeah, she got very ill and very frail um, during lockdown and ended up with kind of 10 weeks in a hospital that we couldn't get to her. She she went to a hospital that was still in lockdown, so she had a fairly miserable last few weeks. But thankfully, 
in the last week she was moved to the little tiny cottage hospital i live in the middle of mid wales uh, it's the least populated part of england and wales it's a area that most people if they've been there have traveled through it to get to the north to snowdonia or you know the south pembrokeshire that kind of thing so life is very different here it's it's kind of slow and old fashioned and and um when i travel the five miles from where i live into the town there are no roundabouts there's no traffic lights if i hit the back of a, a you know a, a queue of cars that will be a very rare occurrence um when the rugby's on and whales are playing there's nothing on the road at all it's great so yeah so my mum managed to finish her last few days um in that little cottage hospital we were able to go in um a lot but it's been it's been kind of fascinating the whole going through that kind of fairly grim caring process and then the grieving afterwards um it's a bit of a rite of passage i suppose that if people haven't gone through that then it's coming at some point um it's been interesting how still i feel quite stuck in the sort of fairly um miserable ending with this this person who is sort of very frail and very unwell uh, rather than back before that where you have the memories of you know all sorts of wonderful times and i think it's because uh to quite a, quite an extent i felt quite responsible for looking after her so there's almost this um sense of of what it must feel like if you've lost somebody that you are genuinely you know a genuine dependent like a child i know it's not like that but you know in in lots of ways we were looking after her and that now there's not that person to look after there's a kind of odd shape to the grief but yeah it's it's manageable you know they, these are things that you carry can't avoid carrying them they're just there yeah no thank you for sharing that i think when you you kind of touch on that it's that carer role isn't it of the it's more than responsibility because it's not the it's the emotion that's kind of wrapped up into that as well and I imagine the change to kind of your identity within that period as well. Like you say, from from having that caring role and, and caring for for that person, um, and kind of yeah, then then where do you go and how do you process that and what do you look like after that moment? Because as you said, um, grief and losing people is something that unfortunately we're all extremely lightly to to experience but will be affected in very different ways and um as you also touched on there the that period we've had through covid and the pandemic where just your experience isn't going to be like anyone else's experience um anyone that's had that over the last kind of couple of years just it's just not imaginable like even if you've lost someone in the past like it just it's a different it's just a completely different situation um so yeah it must be a very very difficult period to 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 have gone through that and then to be trying to look forward and move forward must have been quite a challenge because i know you've got lots of different things that are going on and sound very positive and creative and there's a journey there from there i don't think i, I i'm surprised i'm about to say this but i wouldn't swap it for anything it's kind of you know there are some experiences that look from the outside to be negative and painful and horrible but yet that's very much part of life i think that um there's people i've spoken to in the last year in you know through the nature of the work that i, I do um i do a lot of kind of one-to-one -one stuff with people um where you you kind of you, you're sort of part of a club like people that have gone through something similar you don't need to talk about it, but there's kind of a, an acknowledged um, softness, a slightly different attitude to life and time. The interesting thing is mentioning the cottage hospital and the um, freezing cold weather. We still have snow. It's not been above minus uh, one for the last five or six days. And we've still got, you know, lots of snow out is that 12 years ago in the very same 
cottage hospital my daughter was born um and it was a winter i don't know if people remember 12 years ago there were um satellite shots of the uk absolutely covered from top to bottom in snow um it was minus 14 the night my wife went into labor because i had to get out and fit snow chains with my bare fingers Ooh. this is me describing my heroic <laughs> <laughs> my, my heroic endeavors of the night were fitting snow chains to get us to the hospital um but we were the we were the only two people in the hospital me and my wife and the midwife who'd have to had to um drive over a, a mountain road in a four by four to get to the hospital so whilst there are memories of endings there's memories of beginnings and as well you know it's a it's a nice time of year mm, mm. I, I feel like putting on putting on those chains will have been quite a lot of effort <laughs> um, and i think definitely yeah an interesting an interesting challenge to have had but really nice to like you say have that balance of of positives and different memories that we have there there as well and I think it was also interesting where you're talking about kind of where where you are and it's maybe different to to some of the places that people are listening might be living or working and creates maybe a slightly different way of life or different mindset about kind of how you go about things um how has kind of living where you are impacted or led into the way that you see uh kind of your managing your mental health or your well-being has has where you are been part of that yeah it's it, it's a very good um place for me to be i'm i'm somebody that i think has fairly constant um what positive psychology would call negative affect so i'm prone to depression i'm the sort of person that other people have in the past said oh cheer up what's you know what's wrong with you i have one of those faces i have one of those demeanors that when i when i am in myself perfectly happy perfectly content uh, within my set range of happiness um other people think that i'm much lower down the scale than than a, a kind of population average um so that you know that that's a, a genetic thing um i i you know can tell the story about why i frame myself in that particular way but to remain somewhere in a healthy place by place i mean um sort of a balanced day and, and balanced well-being being here is really good because on the top of the list is the kind of nature cure is mm. being able to be outside surrounded by wilderness i mean i expect those people listening who are horrified by the very thought and and um you know, we, we live a lifestyle where you change your shoes all the time. Um, when I used to live in a city, I lived in Bristol up until about 12 years ago. Mm. Uh, and I never thought about shoes, got out of bed, got dressed, put a pair of shoes on, took them off at the end of the day. Because um, you're on pavements and, you know, if your shoes are wet, you wipe them on the doormat and come in. Here, you can walk out into snow, mud, like, you know, heaven knows what. We live off grid, so, or partially off grid. So, um, you know, another pair of shoes I've got, is a chainsaw, boots, safety boots, that kind of thing. So it's, it's, it's a lifestyle that forces me to be active. So I was, I'm, I'm writing a book at the moment. It's the, the fourth in a series of five, uh, very, practical sort of behavioral workbooks on on the the under the heading of day crafting which hopefully we'll sort of unpack in a minute but i was thinking how um how adherence this this is a, a bit of a medical term or it's a term that that um you might hear in kind of healthcare professional world um that it's fairly typical for people to be given a course of treatment or action or whatever and the adherence of that person um patient mm. to be pretty low so you know there's slightly scary percentages of people that don't take their blood pressure medication or uh, parents and kids that um take all of the um 
you know, asthma medication in the car park because the the device actually counts how many times the child's been medicated. So when they get to see the specialist, he plugs it into the computer and it says, well, actually, you know, the last 50 doses apparently were taken two minutes ago. So anyway, I think that the same is true of of things that we know we should build into our days that are good for us, that keep us balanced. Um, there's a part of our brain that can decide what those things are, that can see that it's it's good to do this, to do that, to to get exercise, to be in connection with other people. I mean, for some people, there might even be, you know, medication involved, et cetera, et cetera. And the part of our brain that sees and promises to do those things is a much smaller part than the person, the, the part of us that's present with us during the days that we live, which is why we say things like, well, I don't feel like it today. And actually that covers a huge and and very important, powerful uh, piece of kind of behavioral, um, you know, functionality within us. I, I make this language an awful lot simpler by talking about the 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 metaphor of the elephant and the rider which has been used in various places um it, it's not mine but the idea is that the person listening to this conversation you and i having this conversation right now mm. are using a very modern it's only you know 200,000 years old modern part of the brain language based that's the rider thinks in charge it's able to promise that i will do all these you know great things that are good for me but and sometimes it doesn't even acknowledge this it's sat on an elephant and the elephant if it hasn't been brought along with this direction or this course of action or whatever then the elephant will always win so the good thing about living where i live and having to get out and chop wood and walk a mile to drop my daughter off to pick up the bus and walk back and all of that sort of sort of thing is it it means you know we're kind of forced into doing things that it turns out are actually really good for you mm. so i think your your question was you know about the positives of being here for me i'm an introvert um a lot of the the best that i can get in terms of supporting my well-being and mental health will probably be things that it's easier for me to do on my own. However, the big negative, and it worries the hell out of me, is the loneliness. Mm. You know, hence mentioning that, you know, this is the least populated part of England and Wales. You know, of course, there are people here. Mm. But if you're somebody who's negative affect, you are somebody that other people perceive instinctively almost immediately as somebody that they're not entirely sure that they're going to find it's easy to get on with and i'm a middle-aged bloke you know it's you know i've got so many things against me poor me <laughs> <laughs> but but i think it is hard you know i don't think i'm i'm being um flippant but i do think it's it is harder for blokes of a certain age to to make friends with each other you know I, I, yeah i think it's a really interesting point i think when you um look at some of the thing i always feel in my head when we talk about kind of that connection making often i feel like the conversation naturally sort of tilts towards transition so i've had conversations in the past that have been about oh when like a younger person transitioned out of education how do i make friends when i'm not kind of forced to mix with people um and then also when people retire it's like okay now how do i make friends because i'm now not every day going into an office or going into a workplace and seeing people and i think it's really interesting that you kind of mention it from the um like the residential side because i don't think i've ever heard anyone sort of speak about it from that point of view but it's the same kind of thing of we're now in a different situation where actually there aren't just people around in like this overpopulated residential area um it's now effort to kind of approach people to meet people and also the limitation of there's less people so you're not going to get on with everyone so how do you find your people when the pool of people is smaller um it becomes a different sort of challenge and i think it's also really interesting you mentioned the kind of it, the, the the benefit or the strength of 
being where you are and being an introvert and actually that probably really really works for you but then also the balance of um that sometimes mean we avoid the thing that we're less keen on doing but we still need to do um and how that kind of fits into your uh maybe not necessarily your day but kind of your period of days your week like just your general living uh it can be a really tricky thing and it's not until you've had that period of being somewhere else and you realize how much you benefit from just being around people or being in an environment where you have access to you know the internet or to whatever because you're in a certain location um my dad's just he's he lives in spain and he's just moved from one villa to i don't know if he's moved into another villa or to some something else but they're off grid now so they pay i think they pay a water bill and that's it um and i was like okay so um when we speak we call over um what do we call over i think we've we phone over facebook messenger because that's what all they've got um and I was like, well, if you've not got internet, I don't really know how we're, how are we going to phone each other? So it's little things like that that you just take for advantage when you have them. And like you say, it's not until your situation changes, you go, oh, actually, yeah, it is more work. It is more effort to go and meet people now. And it's not naturally the thing I would kind of always want to go and do, but I do need to do it. And um, I guess that to some extent fits into when you're talking about kind of day crafting and really thinking about how you're pulling things together for yourself whether that's kind of planned and over a period of time learned as well um i guess that feeds into to maybe where you've come from with that yeah it's um a, i think a good starting place with day crafting is to think about energy and mm -hmm. i'll come on to that in a minute but just to just to say that um i've i've worked out i mean the thing with being introverted is i suppose i go actually more with the idea that most of us are ambivert you know which is the 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 third definition that um jung and various others used but seems to have been missed um so i flip from from you know from different extremes depending um and i've i've worked out that i need two evenings a week that's absolutely perfect for me so i have a board game group that i go out and and meet oh amazing um <laughs> which is really good fun and then um i'm i have in my background a, a lot of work practically um with the research of of positive psychology when that kind of came um hot into um sort of popular psychology uh, world um about 20 years ago and some of the research talks about the the various interventions that are likely to um, lead to the happy happiest um, um, subjective well being states of mm. of people and and you know you've got people that are in faith communities come very high but also one of the very highest things was joining a community choir so uh, actually in, in um, one of the things that my mum that kept her going in the last four or five years and she was becoming frail was being part of two community choirs they were very important to her um and you know we would kind of listen to these stories and whatever but um i i have sung in choirs and stuff uh, a million years ago in my um early you know teens and 20s uh, school theater that kind of thing but anyway we've joined a local community choir and um i still think i'm yet to fully experience the full well-being benefits of it but that's the other thing that i'll do in a week mm. um i do have some some uh day crafting related uh groups that meet in the evening over zoom that we we talk about the craft which i should probably get onto the 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 can I give you a little potted history about how I ended up yeah, I was starting say, this day crafting thing? It, it might be that some people that are listening know a little bit about you already and about day crafting, but if they don't, I bet they don't. I bet they, they don't. don't, and I bet I'd be really surprised. I had this really funny thing that happened yesterday. Um, I mean, I I I trademarked day crafting because I I decided years and years ago that I really loved what I the project that I knew I was going to do. Mm. Um. Before this, I've been working in kind of innovation facilitation and helping startups and businesses and and doing all sorts of, I've been freelance all my life, doing all sorts of creative projects and a lot of projects to do with 
sort of adult educational personal development or or whatever um in terms of the story of my own coming to terms with i suppose being who i am which is sort of mildly on the negative side easy to find um you know easy to find that especially compared with others which is the thing i recommend nobody ever do in terms of happiness is compare yourself to anybody else it's a dangerous thing to do yeah. you know compare yourself to yourself but if i was compared to others yes i'm in this sort of you know mildly negative bracket i happen to happen to be married to somebody that's almost off the scale positive affect she is somebody that no one on planet earth would ever mistake for not being really really happy um so you know there's a nice kind of balance there yeah. she puts up with my drama and and she's you know completely even which is very useful mm. so i think probably like a lot of people that if you discover that you have this kind of interior process starting from your teens of trying to work out who and what and and where on earth you can get to this place where everything's okay because it sort of doesn't feel like it is here mm. one of the ways that some people discover their way of exploring that is to begin providing support to other people so um i was 17 or 18 i think i must have been 18 when i um, trained to be a Samaritan. So I was a Samaritan for my early 20s. Nobody once asked me, actually, Bruce, what's going on for you? Have you ever had thoughts about mm. you know, your own life, that kind of thing? Nobody ever asked that. <laughs> it's kind of interesting. They just assumed that I was okay and you know, provided this as a, yeah. as a kind of coaching thing. I'd, and I came from a pretty disruptive um family childhood so i think i when i got my first relationship in my 20s i sort of latched onto the security of that so when like a lot of relationships that start in your early 20s it inevitably crumbled uh and in my late 20s everything my, my sense of identity and everything kind of fell apart in that time i'd also qualified to be a spiritual director which is a kind of another facet of similar kind of thing working with people but perhaps more on um a, a wider range of problems than you might as a samaritan this was kind of working with people on um questions of spirituality or transcendence or or whatever so i went to the doctor um pretty in an in appalling state having been uh, left by this partner um was prescribed uh, an antipsychotic, which I can't even remember what it was, um, which was the wrong prescription, prescribed in probably about four or five minutes. Mm. I took half of one of the tablets and couldn't read, couldn't read a page. It was so powerful, whatever this thing was. Um, so I went back and said, no, I don't want this. Thank you very much. It's, um, it's a bit grim and was lucky enough to get six sessions of psychotherapy you know that's mm. that's that was lucky at the time but you just get six sessions mm. if you know anything about psychotherapy it only really gets interesting after about two years you know <laughs> as, a, as a kind of model so after after two years maybe into my third year of working with a, a private psychotherapist um she at one point said after having listened to me for three years you're um you are a bit of a victim aren't you reflecting my own view of myself mm. she said and i have never had a bigger kick up the arse than than that really um and i think it and i'm not saying that i would that this language applies to anybody else other than me but i certainly know that it does resonate with other people that there's a reframe that sometimes we don't know is possible until it's introduced at the right time the right time being when you're ready to hear it i suppose mm. and from there that was the moment when i guess i discovered the positive psychology kind of framing of things in other words we've the the dominant model that we have in terms of um therapies and talking therapies uh is a model that i think we've got from freud and Jung and others that looks at how 
we are negatively down a scale and can uh through various steps move up that negative scale ideally to a neutral position positive psychology barged its way onto the scene and said relieving the causes of unhappiness is not the same as creating happiness mm. in order in order to create happiness you have to do something else which for me was a huge transformation i qualified as a coach and did life coaching and leadership work and all sorts of things that are very familiar um now you know there's massive masses of of people doing that mm -hmm. um and i noticed i think i had a question very early on in in the kind of coaching models that uh you know are still prevalent now um i should just say i'm a proper qualified coach i did over a year's work um on a you know, a full diploma and have had over 3000 hours of supervised work, you know, time and, and all the rest of it. And I don't like the model. I don't like the whole back to the elephant and rider idea. I could right now interview you about your definition of the perfect Wednesday in a year's time when you wake up and everything's wonderful and what would it be like and da -da -da, mm. all that sort of thing. I was working with client after client again and again on defining future states and then listening to the difficulties they were having in the day that they were in and wondering what it what it was about the, what what do you imagine you're going to get out of that future place situation state whatever it is where you're arriving what is the quality of that day and if you can it's pretty straightforward to do to capture those qualities and to say well how can you introduce them into the into today into the day that you're living what why are you postponing the good life why are you postponing happiness into some future state maybe i was an appalling coach maybe other people do it in a different way um i've stepped back from that kind of coaching for a while and did all sorts of other work all the time brewing this idea of day crafting the other kind of ingredient was um a leadership coaching retreat that i was one of three coaches taking groups of leaders 20 at a time off for a, a kind of weeks very intensive work and we were looking at their um in inverted commas work-life balance and time management this kind of thing and they were talking about the importance of holidays and how you can accumulate a certain amount of stress but it, you must take your time off you must take your holiday and whatever and this much older guy, this sort of senior coach, if you like, um, he said, Benedictine monks, they don't take holidays. Everything that they need is within each day. Mm. The, the day is split up and designed so that everything that you need to be a balanced person is within that day. Mm. And then the conversation moved on. This was, I don't know, again, 16 years ago. And that was the other twin ingredient that sat in my head all of those years thinking well i wonder i mean i've pulled that idea apart i've found that it's not fully the truth but there's an awful lot of good ideas in it mm. um fast forward to now and i'm into my second year of full-time working with people on this idea of day crafting so instead of coaching which is a sort of like an achievement sports being the best of the best kind of model you know mm. what about what about the rhythms of craft work of being craftspeople what about not being in competition with somebody else but actually just doing the best you can and what would it be like if the day in front of you was a thing for you to to craft so when I begin to explain this to people, I talk about your, you know, imagine you're at a festival or you, or whatever you've, you've, or there's a phaeton at the school and you, you go to a, uh, an hour long, uh, woodworking craft thing. You've never picked up a tool. You've never do anything. And you, you leave after an hour with a spatula. Mm. Fantastic. But actually maybe you're hooked and 
you dive into this craft and you sign up for an evening class and before you know it, you've got a house full of spoons and, you know, heaven knows whatever else. You go even further and maybe you're making uh, musical instruments or marquetry or, you know, heaven knows what. Well, day crafting has begun to become that big. It starts with a introductory course or an introductory book where people learn, you know, the equivalent of making a spatula. But then it quickly goes into the different areas that that my early apprentices um, became interested in. And this is coming full circle back to what we were talking about earlier about energy mm. and in terms of energy and its relationship to mental health that you know yes you can uh, day crafting is not just about mental health it is for people f f who would self-identify as wanting to use it to help that this is why i'm using the analogy of craft where you know these 10 people started in the same workshop but two years on that person over there is making violins this person's making cabinets this person's designing a house but for all of them the the first kind of specialist place you get to is recognizing that you have this energy flow during the day and i'm, I'm talking about actual measurable energy here not a kind of glastonbury energy mm -hmm. not i've got anything particularly against glastonbury but if you know what i mean so think of your chronotype, so your preference for your sleep timings. So this is where people recognize that they might be an early, mid or late chronotype. Well, that's just the tip of the iceberg. Your, your, your chronotype, which is set from the timing of the sun, governs a whole load of other energy rhythms during your day, not just your sleep preferences. It governs your um, logical cognitive thinking. So if you're a, um, you know, a, a person sat behind a, behind a laptop being a, um, an information worker, as lots of people are these days, there'll be a set window, I reckon probably no more than about three hours during the day when you can do that at your optimum and probably less. There's also a time during the day which doesn't coincide with that when we're at our most creative. Hmm. But then it gets more interesting. There's also times during the day when our physical abilities are at their best so your tolerance to pain physically is in the afternoon your ability to perform at your fastest is in the evening which is why when the olympics are on all of the fast track um you know events are scheduled for that time of day because it coincides with the the athletes there's a 20 percent difference between us at our best and our worst and just to kind of finish this off you also have a kind of energy rhythm during your day for your emotional resilience or your um ability to be social with other people mm. um i noticed interestingly after my mother had died that and and also before that in a in a um finishing off a contract with a business that was becoming pretty toxic and difficult to work for that the times when i was finding that the quality of my inner life which is you know one of the things that we measure daily in day crafting uh was at its most vulnerable in the late morning now if you're kind of armed with and it doesn't take long really to build up this kind of knowledge of um when the optimum time during the day is to do certain things and now that we're all kind of working from home or at least a lot of us are working from home you don't have to do a great deal to dramatically increase the quality of your day simply by moving things around you know we're having this conversation um at five o'clock in the afternoon for most average chronotypes so these are kind of medium chronotypes that would wake up at seven naturally go to bed at 11 o'clock at night um we will have had a, a peak cognitive um performance moment when i say um it's not a, a huge population but it, let's say it's about sort of 38 percent of us um this time of the day we're coming out of a slump which starts after lunch when the most reasonable thing to do is to either take a nap or go outside and do something um we're now just getting into this kind of rebound energy but it's got a really different feel to it than were we to have had this conversation 
at 10 o'clock in the morning when everything is much more logical and to-do lists and my ability to focus and concentrate and know what the right answer to things mm. is way higher at that point. But it's also the time of the day when I therefore can't be creative. Mm. So sometimes to be creative, you need to know the wrong answer to stuff, which is why we're way more creative. You know, it's a good time to play board games is in the evening when you're kind of, you know, drifting on slightly different energy. <laughs> I think so. It's really interesting to hear you talk through that from, I can say, an informed point of view. Because I've heard like anecdotally snippets of this in the past of like, oh, there's a more productive time of day or a more creative time of day. Or I'm sure in the past I've seen it like in a typical week, this is also like a more productive day or something. And but I've never really seen someone kind of have a, a structure to that. It's like, oh, here's a bit of information rather than kind of when you're talking through it, it's also like yes you can learn about these things and, and how kind of you process or live but also now think about that in terms of kind of um forward planning and being prepared for for how your days are going and how you're monitoring your well-being or your productivity if those are things that you're you're really looking at i think it's quite an interesting approach to um i know when you were talking earlier about the the kind of the balance between this and maybe a, a more traditional kind of productivity coach or, or or something like that that I think you're right we see a lot more of now and I think maybe there's an element of home working and lots more kind of self-employment opportunities that have led into that being a, an area of, I personally I think of growth but it seems like there are a lot more people doing it and a lot more people doing it well um, and this sort of feels like it's it's in a slightly different direction where you're really thinking about your well-being and how you're living rather than how you're working if that makes sense um, it's pretty yeah it's pretty holistic the the last um the third of the five workbooks which i published in august was about productivity i mean i put productivity on the title because that's kind of the closest you sort of have to match what people might imagine a book's about yeah. but in actual fact it's i i I think that if we go back to the craft model, mm. um, the process of you in the workshop, so this is a metaphorical workshop, obviously, but the being able to work, uh, maybe that's even the wrong word because play is not a bad word for mm. some crafts people. The, the, if you go back before 250 years, we've been working, we've been mostly defining productivity under the what i call the factory model mm. so it did exist before 250 years but you know what i mean the kind of the hustle the um we are all at 120 percent stress you don't go over 120 percent stress because you absolutely break then but you can't be under 120 percent stress and busy because everybody else is at 120 percent there's this unwritten rule that we'll all get to this ridiculous level and then we can start to say no but mm. it does mean that we're all kind of shouting if you know what i mean we're all kind of at this crazy level yeah you've I got um, to be very busy or if you're not that you've got to pretend to be very busy because you can't be but there's a other. shift but there is a shift. I mean, we've been talking about homeworking, but there's other things. This it it was sort of denigrated in the news a month or so ago. But the the quiet quitting, mm. and it doesn't that sound like a negative term? People are quiet quitting. Um, when actually you read what it actually means is that people have shock horror decided that they're going to do their bloody job description and only their job description, not stay crazy late, mm. not necessarily expect to give 100% of their passion to this job that they might not fully believe in. And now we're getting evidence coming out of some of the early um, four-day week studies saying how, if quantitative measures of productivity are what's important to uh, your organisation or whatever, it's undeniable that going down to a four-day week is more productive. But let's take it a stage further. Let's look at how we would have been 250 years ago and i don't mean this in a kind of romantic arts and crafts sort of way i'm just saying that that what seems normal to us now is only seems normal because it works to the favor of the way society runs and the way 
um, you know, organizations and productivity is measured, GDP, it's only it's only one measure of of how a country can remain healthy, GDP. There are many, many others. You know, the human well-being index, for example. What if yeah, it, it, what if it's it is important at the end of the week to have created a certain amount of output and widgets and this, that, and the other. There's lots of other ways to do it. And there's a very strong argument for us only really being at our most productive over about three or four hours. The more intense your deep work, and I'm sure lots of people have heard of um, Cal Newport's book on deep work, um, the more intense your deep work, the less of it you can do in a day. The rest is shallow work. You know, you can't, if you're a knowledge worker, you're going to get maybe three hours, three or four hours of deep work if it's really intense. And me as a, a, a kind of founding this day crafting idea would, would really strongly stress the only way you'll be able to do that is if you also program an equal amount of active, effective rest in your day. You know, the... um the the 10,000 hours as uber productive super you know achieving people will know that they're devoting these 10,000 hours to become masters of whatever it is they're doing and this, this is a very spurious number that's come from a Malcolm Gladwell book and it's it is based on genuine research into um i guess is the right word elite musicians you know absolutely fantastic solo musicians have have achieved their 10,000 hours mm. what the research has left out is that 12,000 hours of effective rest that they also needed to schedule into their days to fuel the 10,000 hours of, of practice and that's leaving out sleep yeah is that sort of you report and focus on the things you want to focus on isn't it I think um when you're talking about the like the four day weeks and things like that it is it's so interesting I think how much we do just base things on how they are now I guess it comes back to that when you were talking about that what does your perfect perfect day look like um it's like try to try to imagine like what are the things that you need to get done or want to get done and how would be the best way to do those rather than okay we need you here for this many hours and as a, like a secondary, we expect you to do all of this other stuff. It's like, no, what's the purpose of me being here? What do I want to get out of it? What am I meant to produce? And then how do I produce that rather than kind of... Just... I, I I have, um, I was talking earlier about these apprentices. I have, I mean, I'll finish up with this, but I have been working with a group of early adopters, if you like. Mm. Um, so I run this apprentice course, which takes six weeks, but... I've been working with a group of people who've stayed on beyond that and have kind of formed this monthly group. And there are within that um, people very high up in uh, NHS work, um, people that are um, operations managers of middle-sized businesses. These are all really, really um, uh, busy people, some of whom came to me because they burnt out in a previous role. And it is possible, you know, you don't have to have moved to the wilds of mid Wales, live off grid, you know, to kind of practice something like this. It is, it would only be useful if it was something that everybody could, to, to the degree that they choose to integrate it into their lives. I mean, if, if the very simplest thing that anybody could take away from this conversation is the idea of, um, if they have a to-do list, adding the idea of a when to-do you know, into that sort of thinking that I must get this done tomorrow. Also think about when during the day you'll do it at mm. its, you know, optimum. There's a lot more to it than that, but you know, that's a good place to start. I think there's, it's, yeah, it's been a really interesting conversation and, and thank you for, for sharing some of your personal insights and, and knowledge here as well. I think it's a, a really interesting start to a conversation. It feels like there's a lot more there for, for us to talk about, but also for people to maybe go away and think about and, um, maybe learn a little bit more and, and, and have a look at kind of how they live and work and do everything in between. Um, if people do want to find out a little bit more about yourself, Bruce, or or day crafting and some of the things we've spoken about, where are the good places for them to go to find out about those things? The best place is the website daycrafting.com. Um, I do put stuff out on Twitter and 
elsewhere, but you're at the mercy of the algorithms. Mm. So <laughs> come to the website, DaveCrafting.com. Amazing. Thank you so much, Bruce, for, for yeah, just sharing everything. It's been great to, to have a chat, and I'm sure there's, there's more that we could discuss in the future as well. But thank you so much for, for coming on and sharing. And you, Mike. Thank you. Thanks for this. These are real people. They do have struggles. And it starts to get on my nerves. I just shut down. So many people suffer from mental illness. To get the word out that men have got to start talking. A lot of people don't understand the depth of the situation, so they can appreciate, yeah. It's difficult dealing with our minds, and the suicidal thoughts were back. People knew that there was something not right, but they just never really said anything or probably felt like it wasn't their place to say anything. You're not depressed, it's, it's all in your head. That's probably the statement I've had people say the most. I mean, this, this, this shit is real and it's hard, it's exhausting. Sometimes you need somebody to just give you permission. And I think people realise how helpful that one conversation can be just to figure out why you are feeling the way you are. Not only did this help me to write it, it potentially might have helped some other people as well. So it sort of started from there. People just want to know that they just want to know that they're safe to talk and share these things. So many people think they're alone. And then you hear other people talk about it and they think, oh, that's, you know, that's so brave or I could relate to that. Um, and then they want to talk about it. 